Psalms 40. You got a copy of God's Word. There's some notes in the back. If you don't have one, you make sure you pick up a copy of our notes so you can keep up today. Psalms 40. We're going to read the whole thing today. It's too good to skip any of it, so let's stand to our feet. God's Word open as a sign of respect and a testimony that this is the Word of God. We have a heading in Psalms 40. You see it in the top of there before the psalm starts. It says, To the choir master, a psalm of David. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell them, yet they are more than can be told. In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For evil have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me and I cannot see. There are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those who be put to shame and disappointed all together who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, Aha, aha. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy. But the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, oh my God. Let's pray with me. Lord, this is your word. What a message it has for us. That you have delivered us and you are delivering us and you will deliver us. This is good news for the great congregation. The very people of God. 
Oh God, would you do your work among us? And if there is someone who is not singing the new song, would you do your supernatural creative work today and give them a new heart so that they might sing? We need you, God. We celebrate in you, God. And today, we want to hear from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. It doesn't matter who you are. If I ask you, tell me about a dark night of your soul. And tell me how the Lord has pulled you up from that dark night. We would all have a story. If you ask anybody in my family, they're going to take you back to a Thanksgiving Eve where me and Christina was in the Congo and we had expended all of our ways to get our children home and our hope was shrinking. We got up Thanksgiving Day and went for the last one ditch effort to beg and was told not only through a laughing conversation that our children would not come home with us, but we had to leave within a matter of hours. And I can tell you, that was a dark night in our soul. Much of David's life is spent waiting. And so is ours. We do not wait without hope. And this is what David wants us to see. But I need you to understand something this morning. Because we've been told stories like David and Goliath. And we have said the Goliath is, is, the, is the problems in our life. And God gives us the power to be a David. And David is the hero of that story. And can we say, if you could ask David, who's the hero of that story? He would say, Yahweh is the hero of that story, not me. It is the heartbeat of David's life. If you ask David, David, what is your greatest problem? He would say to you, my sin. Not my Philistines, not my marriage, not my job, not my kids. My sin is the problem, and Yahweh is the only answer. The hero of every storm in David's life is Yahweh. He writes a songbook for God's people so they would not forget it. Steve Lawson calls this psalm, From the Mire to the Choir. That's a good one. This psalm is messianic. In almost every verse. I love Spurgeon. If you want to read something good, read what Spurgeon wrote on Psalms 40. Every verse is pointing to Christ. So what was David's hope? It's our main idea. The great God who saves puts a new song in the mouth of the redeemed. And so we see verse 1 starts where we've been talking about for the last three weeks. The Lord hears the cry for deliverance. And in other words, it starts with His wait. Verse 1, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. You know what this means? Literally, waiting, I waited. You could say it this way, expecting, I expected. Hoping, I hoped. This is how he's been spending his life. He spent the last three psalms telling us about it. The why, the why, 
Turn with me if you want to just see a couple of places. Psalms 37, verse 8 and 9. Just look at verse 9 with me. In other words, we have to reconfigure our minds what waiting looks like biblically. And you need to put your mind in. There's a hope here. Listen, just look for it. Psalms 37, verse 9. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. Do you see the hope? Look at verse 34, same chapter. Psalms 37, verse 34. Wait for the Lord and keep His way, and He will exalt you to inherit the land. Turn with me to the next chapter. Psalms 38, verse 15. Psalms 38, verse 15. says, But for you, O Lord, do I wait. It is you, O Lord, my God, who will answer me. There's hope there. Hope in the promises of God. He's waiting for that. Psalm, now turn with me over to one more chapter. Psalms 39. Look at verse 7. Psalms 39, verse 7. And now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. Deliver me from all my what? Transgressions. David knew where his hope was. And listen, David knew where his problem was. His prayer was his cry. So I want you to see something now. Turn back with me to Psalms 40. There is a refrain. Remember, this would be usually be which God's people would sing it. Verses 12 to 17 is his cry. That it's a summary of what he's been crying for the last three chapters. In other words, this is what it looks like. Verses 12 to 17 is what it looks like when you do verse 1. When you're waiting, I waited. When you're hoping, I hoped. What are we doing during that time of waiting? Verse 12 to 17. This is the refrain. This is what they would be singing. Look at verse 12. For evil has encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities, notice that, it's important. My iniquities have overtaken me and I cannot see. Sin by me, Lord, and sin done to me by others, Lord, has encompassed me. In other words, we must begin with acknowledging our sin while we're waiting. Sin done to us, sin done by us. Our sins, listen, this is important. This is why every verse points to Christ. Our sins are innumerable. Our sins done by us and to us cannot be numbered. And Christ became sin so that in Him you might become the righteousness of God. He bore them. He bore every one of them. So we acknowledge our sin in verse 12, verse 13. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. In other words, we appeal to His character in our pleas, not our own merit. Got to get this today. There's no pulling yourself up by your bootstraps into Psalms. He's saying, Lord, I'm appealing to you. You must deliver me. Micah Chapter 7, verse 8. It's not in your notes. Micah 7, verse 8 says this. Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. We appeal to Him, to His character, and to His power for deliverance. This is all, this whole psalm's active. Verse 14 and 15, we see 
him pleading for justice, sin done by others to him. We've been talking about this. It says, let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to his honor who delight in my hurt. He's acknowledging not only his own sin, but the sin done to others. He's asking for justice. Verse 16 and 17. This is the refrain of your life. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say, Great is the Lord. In other words, in the midst of our waiting, we understand that we cannot save ourselves. You must understand your inability and God's ability. This is the normal refrain of our life. You remember John 12, 27? Jesus had sorrow in his soul. Now is my soul troubled, John 12, 27. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. You see, that's your refrain when you're suffering. God, deliver me. But we pray like our Jesus prayed. Father, be glorified if I have to suffer. If you choose not to take it away, be glorified. This is the refrain of our life. I love this quote. God promises a safe landing, but not a calm passage. That's true, isn't it? Our lives bear witness to it. David could not save himself. He patiently waited on the Lord. But this psalm is about the fact that God delivers his people. This word deliver, you're going to see it all through the psalm. When you hear deliverance, you need to think of salvation. Righteousness. The Lord brings salvation to His people. The Lord brings righteousness to His people. And we see this in verse 2 in His action. Look at that. He drew me up from the pit of destruction. How else does He call it? Look at the second line. Out of the miry bog. And set my feet on a rock. And my steps. Making my steps secure. This, that, David loves this picture of standing on a rock. It's all through the Psalms. This is a testimony. Look at the picture. Look at the image of from death to victory. If you want to turn there, you don't have to. You just remember the story with me. Jeremiah 38. Jeremiah was a prophet. He spoke the truth, what God told him to say. And for that, they literally put him down in a cistern, a well with no water in it. And the only thing in the bottom was wet clay. And when they put him down in there, he, he sunk up inside of that. This is the picture that he paints. Remember Joseph thrown into the well? Same image. Lord, I'm in a pit. I can't get out of it. It's a pit of destruction, of death. Miry bog, this wet clay that you sink and you can't get a foothold. You can't put your foot, even if you could pull it up, you can't lift it up and push yourself up. What was this pit? He alludes to it, but we don't know. He's general by and large. For the last two chapters, he's saying it's a pit of sin. That's the immediate context. We also know in David's life, he had a pit of defeat. His own son turned against him. Saul, the king, was trying to kill him. And we saw last week in Saul's life 
That you can simply have a pit of circumstances because you're doing the right thing, not because you're doing the wrong thing. I did what's right. I'm suffering. Whatever the pit, the point is that God intervened and God raised him up out of the pit. Rock is contrast to the miry bog. Power of sin and death is contrasted to the power of God and Christ. His ability to set you a place where the devil cannot affect you. He turned. Notice that in verse 1. This is all about the Lord. He turned. He heard. He drew. He set. He made. They're all active. It is not waiting anymore. God is acting. Turn with me to Ephesians 2, 1-6. I want you to understand today that in Christ there is a time and there must have been a time when God acted in your life. Ephesians 2, verse 1 says, And you were dead in trespasses and sins. There was a time, or yet still is, when you are dead in your trespasses and sins. You're in the miry bog, the pit of destruction, and you cannot save yourself. God does not need to throw you a life preserver in the miry bog. He must draw you out of it, or you are dead. You are dead in this passage. You're not drowning. And you were dead in your trespasses. And look at verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Notice what He does, beloved. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And He's not done yet. He raised us up and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ. Jesus went into the pit. He went into the grave. And He rose for our deliverance. This is all about Christ. That's not the only thing that He was delivered of and that we are delivered of. He's also delivered, look at verse 6 to 8, from dead religiosity to a living hope. This is a spiritual deliverance that leads to authentic worship. Not word service. Not ceremonial, not traditions. Look at what he said. God truly has done a work in his life. For he says in verse 6, In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you have not required. Look at verse 6. He says, You have opened my ears. You have made me receptive to what? The scroll of the book in verse 7 is most likely the law. You've made me want to obey you. But more importantly, look at verse 7 and 8. Then I, then I said, behold, I have come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me. I delight to do your will, O oh my God. Your law is within my heart. This is prophetic. Do you see it? The coming of Christ in the flesh. Christ's readiness to do the will of His Father. Just speaking of David, but it is also pointing to the greater David that is to come. Who came willingly, suffered willingly, and died willingly. Do you remember Luke 24, verse 44? It was Jesus Himself that said everything in the law 
Everything in the prophets and everything in the Psalms is talking about me. It is the Lord Jesus himself came to deliver us. It is David who has understood through the sufferings in his life that he could not save himself. That God had given him a desire in his heart to obey the will of God willingly. And that unless that was true, anything ceremonially, anything externally was of no effect and was not accepted. This is not simply the story of David. This is the story of the people of God. That's why there must have been a grand sacrifice, a greater sacrifice, a better David, a better Abraham, a better Moses, a final prophet, a better priest to come. If we doubt that this speaks of Jesus, let us turn to Hebrews. I love Hebrews. Some people are intimidated by it. You're in, we're often intimidated because we don't know our Old Testament. The more we know our Old Testament, the better we can understand how Jesus is better. This is your growth group lesson, by the way. I hope you're part of a growth group because I'm not going to steal their thunder today. I just want you to see verse 4 and 5. He's quoting, For it is impossible for the, for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, He said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. He goes on to say, this is speaking of Christ. One commentator said it this way, He understood that the sacrifices commanded by God were intended to lead His people to faith and repentance. If rituals were used as an end in themselves, they were rejected. David understood it. He understood what was coming. If you, if you can find Ezekiel, turn with me to Ezekiel 11. Hebrews speaks of this. There is a new covenant coming. A full and final deliverance for God's people. And David looked forward to it. And we look back on it. Ezekiel 11, look at verse 19. And I will give them one heart and a new spirit. And I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them. They shall be my people and I will be their God. This speaks of in Christ. He's going to come and give us a new heart. I love what Spurgeon said. He said no outward formal devotion was rendered by Christ. His heart was his work. Holiness was his element. The Father's will, his meat and drink. We must each of us be like the Lord in this, or we shall lack the evidence of being disciples. Where there is no heart work, no pleasure, no delight in God's law, there can be no acceptance. Brothers and sisters, dead religion is the spiritual cancer of our day. That allows dead people to come in and sing of a God they do not know. And David has said, no. God has given me a desire in my heart to obey you. And listen, he has put a new song in his heart. To sing. That cannot be contained. This is the message this morning. Though those who have been delivered sing. They've been a new song. Look at verse 3. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. 
Many will see and fear and put their trust in Him. So notice verses 1 and 2. And now verse 3. He turned. He heard. He drew. He set. He made. And look at it. Verse 3. He put. He put the song. Micah, you wrote a couple of the songs this morning, right? Micah wrote a couple of the songs. But here's what Micah can't do, what David can't do, and what you can't do. You can't put the song in your own heart. God must do it. And if He does it, it's there. And if it's not, we must repent and put our faith in Jesus Christ. Because it is Him and Him alone that puts the song of praise in our heart that sings even when we suffer. David's song was a testimony that was given to him by Yahweh. Our gratefulness to our God. Look down now at verses up and then goes out. Do you see it? Look down now at verses 9 and 10. Where it talks about this new song. The effect the new song is having on David. It's not just going to be to David. This is a corporate song. I have told the glad news of deliverance. There's that word. In the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips as you know, Lord. As Micah said, while we were singing, this song has a theme. It is the salvation belongs to the Lord. The refrain of our life that comes, no matter whether we're in a victory or in the pit, is the cross of Jesus Christ. It is what we ask people to say. It is why we baptize after repentance and faith. Because people must stand and say, Jesus is my Lord and He's my Savior. He is my only hope in this life and I will live for Him. It's the good news. We dare not rob people of the privilege of declaring that deliverance belongs to the Lord. This is a new song. David is unable now to do two things. To keep it silent and to not gather with his people. You cannot separate Old Testament and New Testament. Being in Christ or being Yahweh's, Yahweh's and not being Yahweh's people. If we are saved, we are with his people. We cannot not gather with his people. This is a corporate song. It is one who has proclaimed, verse 10, I have not hidden your deliverance from my heart. Notice the your I have not hidden your deliverance. Second line, I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness. So well, what is he doing? Here's, here's what he's doing at the very beginning. I have not. All this is active. The whole psalm. He's been waiting. 37, 38, 39, Psalms 40. No waiting. This whole song is active. God's acting and we're acting. God's delivering, we're worshiping. God's delivering, we're singing. We're singing of what He has done. Your deliverance in Christ should be bleeding out as gratefulness that looks like worship. And Paul said in Romans 12, all of your life is worship. See, this is not about a ceremony. David understood that. It's about your life. A life that's led in an unquenchable 
desire and delight that cannot be quenched by simply circumstances. The word deliverance here is really helpful. We said deliverance is connected, but here he's leaning more into justice, what is right. I want to exalt you. Remember he's saying, Lord, deliver me from my sin. Deliver me from the sin of those that are trying to kill me. Notice our purpose statement here at Battleground and where it came from. Here's our purpose statement. The purpose of Battleground Community Church is to glorify God through Christ-exalting worship as we grow together in biblical community while going with the gospel to all peoples. Here's how we glorify God. We exalt Christ. That's how we glorify Him. The Bible's not vague of what glorifying looks like. We must first be committed to exalting Him, to exalt Him together, and to let no one decide. There is no such thing as a private faith. David said, I trust in Yahweh, and I will declare it, especially amongst the people. We cannot be silent. Romans 1.16 says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The risen King right now, should be putting a new song in your mouth. Is he? The Lord's not done. The Lord's not done here. David's not done expressing what God has delivered him, what he is doing. He says the Lord blesses and provides for his people. Look at verse 4 and 5. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who... Go astray after a lie. Going through some foster training right now on Saturdays. And it was no surprise when they began to talk about the building blocks of children's lives. And how we look into their lives and see what area because of the trauma that was missed in their life. That the number one building block of their life is trust. And so it is with you. And here's the truth this morning. Trust, faith, is a gift given by God. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust. Quote, trusting, is the Lord, trusting in the Lord is the evidence, indeed the essence of salvation. The true believer is evidently redeemed from the dominion of sin and Satan. We cannot trust in the Lord. No, we do not want to when Satan is our God and sin has dominion over us. But God rescues us from that. And in Christ, we become slaves of God, slaves of Christ, victors over dominion of sin and Satan. The word proud here is interesting. It actually interprets Egypt. How would you like to have the name of your country or be always remembered? Those are the proud ones. That's true if we remember the story. He's saying to God's people, don't be like the Egyptians. God destroyed them. Blessed is the man who trusts in Yahweh. God gives us the gift of not only trust, but also humility. You ever ask yourself that question? That you know as well as me that neither one of us are by nature humble. We're not. We're by nature selfish. We're by nature self-preserving. 
We love ourselves. Yet people say, you need to love yourself more. My greatest problem is I love myself too much. God gives us a gift. It is the ability to trust Him and to deny ourselves, to take up our cross and to follow Christ. You see, you've got to understand this this morning to be able to celebrate in it. That God used the crisis moments, the pit moments in David's life, to both humble him and to build his trust in Yahweh. You need to be reminded, as I do, that you cannot save yourself. That you cannot lift yourself up from the situation, but Yahweh can. And so he says, God has blessed me. Look at verse 5. He says, You've multiplied, O Lord, two things, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. Speaking to God's people there, none can compare with you. How is that? What's in David's mind when he says, You have multiplied your wondrous deeds to us? Well, who's the us? The Lord's people, it's Israel. He's remembering those proud ones. That's why the proud, the Egyptians, Pharaoh, Red Sea, water from rocks, manna from heaven, shoes don't wear out, victory over enemies too powerful for them. That was the, his past interventions in Israel's life. What is God's past interventions in your life? You want to be led to worship. Take a few minutes every week and remember what God saved you from. It is those very things that God has used for the good of His people. Isn't that what He promised in Romans 8, 28? For those, he's saying, your thoughts, the past interventions in my life, and your thoughts, that means the intentions and the plans that are going to happen, but that are yet still in the mind of God. Those are blessings too. I am blessed by those. I can, I can rest securely because my future rests in the mind of God. And I am His people. That's, that should lead you to sing, brothers and sisters. Blessed is... Look at verse 11. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain. This is a promise. You will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast and love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. You will not. You will. What does restrain mean? It means withhold. He said to his people, he's, I'm blessed because God's not going to restrain his mercy from me. It's flowing. It's the living water. It flows to his people. It's preserving. You know what that means? God has set a guard on his people. He preserves them. He that's began a good work in you will do what? You'll finish it. You'll finish it. We are safe, beloved. God's grace and His mercy, His steadfast love and His faithfulness, it's unstoppable. It's unquenchable. It's unrestrained. And it is always preserving. Go back with me again. Remind yourself of Ephesians 2.6. Remind yourself of that. You need to read the first couple chapters of Ephesians on a regular basis. Because Ephesians 2 and verse 6 says that God both saved us. And listen, Christ is seated 
he's sitting down in Ephesians 2, 6. You notice that? He's sitting down. And who's sitting beside of him? We are. That's important, beloved. It's important. God just didn't save you in the past. He seated you in position of authority beside of him. His work is finished. That's why we sing the cross. What can we take away today? Are we delighting in Jesus Christ alone for our deliverance? I'm not talking about something you did back then. Are you delighting right now? Look at verse 16. This is the promise. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Is that true of you today? Irregardless of your situation and your circumstances. When you open up God's word or gather with his people, is it more duty or delight? This is the question. Because you know it's to be true or not to be true. Has the Lord put a new song in your mouth? Say it another way of something I've already said. The reason this is so important today is that dead religion is the opiate of the Bible belt. As people pray to prayer, join the church, live like hell, and die and think they're going to heaven. That is dead religion. It is just as dead as the children of Israel who offered sacrifices to God in the midst of their own idolatry. Pastors and I were talking, as most of you know, there's a group of us that preach the same text every week. And, uh, and this is not bragging, this is just the facts in that group. This is, this is a pretty well consensus. The, the sermons that we prepare is normally about, we spend about 20 to 30 hours preparing a message. More likely on the high end of that. And then we get together at a sermon team and talk about the message that we've been studying about 15 hours in. And then we spend another time, then we study a lesson. And most people in that room are teaching a growth group lesson. And you know what? There hasn't been one week to where we get in there and say, if I have to read Psalms 40 one more time. I'm just about to die. I'm tired of this text. Can't we just move on? It never happens. The more we study, the more we delight, the more we look into Christ, the more marvelous He is, the more wonderful He becomes. And we never get tired of it because we are His and He has put us a new heart that beats, it hungers. The more we eat of it, the more you want. It's like your mama's lemon meringue pie. You just can't eat one piece. The new creation is that way. Turn with me to Luke. I want you to see something. I figured out, by the way, Micah, how to get a few more minutes in the message. I didn't start my clock till after I read the scripture. I was like, hey, I got I to gotta do that every week. Gives me an extra like three or four minutes. Look at Luke 17. I'm going to make a statement and then I want us to look at God's word. Our deliverance is not complete until we are singing a new song. Our deliverance is not complete until we are singing a new song. Look at, look at this story in Jesus' life. 
Look at verse 11, Luke 17, 11. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee, and he entered into a village who was met with ten lepers, who stood at a distance, and, he lift, and, and lifted up their voices and saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turning, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. And Jesus said, We're not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return giving praise to God except this foreigner? Listen to what he says, verse 19. And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Me and Micah have no need every week to try to figure out how to do a, how to do a dog and pony show on Sunday because Christians don't need a dog and pony show to bring them into God's house. They need only to remind of Jesus Christ and the finished work of Christ that is sufficient to gather God's people until He comes. It's good news for us today. You've gathered today because no one could have stopped you from gathering to worship your God who delivered you. I want to show you one more thing to set us up for the song that we're about to sing. Turn with me to Genesis 2. Some of you might know, some of you do or don't. That I'm taking some classes at Southern and I'm writing a paper right now. And, and this just jumped off the page at me this week. So I wanted to show it to you. Thinking about Christ. Just being amazed at His presence. Genesis 2. One, notice what just happened. Verse 31, chapter 1, verse 31 says, And God saw everything he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And, and on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and rested on the seventh day from all of his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from the work that he had done in creation, and in chapter, and in verse 4, it gets, into, it gets back into creation. Look at verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Notice what you do not see on the seventh day. No evening, no morning. No evening, no end. God finished the work. This is important. This is the gospel. This is, this is the gospel in Genesis. He finished the work. Finished, perfect, holy, complete. And he brings man into a finished work. And the man would be in there still, yet for sin. It was sin that broke this perfect relationship, this perfect peace, this perfect worship, this perfect work. Sin ruined it. But there was a day Christ who had been working from the moment we sinned. Genesis 3, 15. And on that day on Calvary He uttered a, three words. It is finished. And what sin broke in the garden Jesus Christ finished on the cross. 
And he has seated you, beloved, beside of him into a finished work. There is no more work to be done. Christ has done it. Your sin is not more counted to you because it was counted to Christ. And for that, brothers and sisters, we sit with him in his finished work. And one day we will stand with him and he will come and he will set up a new heaven and a new earth. And on that day, there will be no end to it. We will worship him. Forever, and we will stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. Let's pray. What do we say to such a text? Jesus is Lord, and there's no other. Oh God, I'm, you deserve the worship of all peoples, you deserve the worship of everyone in Kingston Mountain, and Bessemer City, and Cherival. Boston, Maine, Honduras. Oh God, we as your people would not be able to be silent about such a Savior who saved a wretch like me. And now, those who are wretched. It should have been dropped into the pit of hell. Lord, you saved us. You gave us a position that we don't deserve. Oh God, now would you let the new song from our very soul come out of our mouth now and then go out into our life in just a few minutes. Receive our worship, Lord. Not what we're just about to do for the next few minutes, but the next week and the rest of our life, Lord. Lord, we say you get to choose how we spend our life in worship, be it in a wheelchair or on top of a mountain, Lord, do you be glorified. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's stand and sing.